The History of the World podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. The Ancient World Cup Hello everyone, Chris here from the History of the World podcast with a special bonus episode to celebrate our reaching the end of the Ancient World Cup. Now, we've been doing this for well over a year, I believe. Uh, The Ancient World Cup uh, started out as a competition with 64 teams in it. We're now down to the final two. And um, we've been voting on 48 occasions so far to get the list down to two. Originally, these 64 teams were put into 16 groups of four. The top two advanced to the next stage and then we had to have a couple of playoffs where there were a couple of tied games within the groups. Then we went to straight knockout with the 32 teams remaining. And each week we've been voting on Facebook, we've been voting on Instagram, we've been voting on Twitter to boil it down to the final two teams. And we finally got there. The final two teams battling it out to become the ancient World Cup champions are the ancient Egyptians and the Romans. And quite simply, all we're voting for is who we think is best. Who's the best out of ancient Egypt and the Romans? Well, it's up to you. Next week, you'll be voting on the Facebook official page, the History of the World podcast page on Facebook. The unofficial History of the World podcast um, unofficial fan group Um That is also a place where you can vote. You can vote on Instagram and you can vote on Twitter. Now, if you don't know where to find those pages, then just go to the historyoftheworldpodcast.com website, click on the interact section and it's all there. With lots of other places, the Tapper Talk discussion forum, Tumblr, TikTok, it's all there. Just go there if you want to interact with the History of the World podcast. So, The purpose of this week's episode, this bonus episode, is to review the two teams that are going to be facing each other next week. So let's talk about them and see if you cannot make your mind up whether we can help you to make your mind up one way or the other. So let's start with the first team, the Ancient Egyptians. Now, the ancient Egyptians were, were drawn in Group B of the first round and they were put in with the Macedonians, the Carthaginians and the Epirates. So you can call that a very Mediterranean-themed uh, group, that one, I would suggest. Now, the Epirates really didn't attract a lot of the vote with them being quite... You know, quite a small influence with their 
King Pyrrhus really was their, their probably their their strong point in history. Um, they only got 3% of the vote. The Carthaginians were narrowly edged out of it by the Macedonians. The, the Carthaginians got 24% of the vote with everything that they did um, to dominate the Mediterranean Sea before the rise of the Romans. And um, the Macedonians advanced with the ancient Egyptians. And so they were separated going into the knockout phases. So we made sure that they didn't play each other in the first round of the knockout. Uh, the ancient Egyptians uh, achieved... Um, my eyesight's terrible. Give me, give me a moment. Um, the ancient Egyptians achieved 44% of the vote. So they got quite a large share uh, although not the majority share, they uh, were the, they were clearly the the winners of the group. Though, now when they advanced through to the knockout stages, they were drawn in match number six against the Seleucids. So the Seleucids, of course, once again, quite a Mediterranean-based society. Um, they were a child society of the Macedonians after Alexander the Great had conquered um, most of Persia right up to the Indus Valley. Um, the Seleucid Empire really displaced the Achaemenid Persians who um, the Macedonians conquered. And the Seleucids really were the Hellenistic rulers of Persia. Um when they played the ancient Egyptians in the ancient World Cup, the ancient Egyptians stormed to victory. It was like hands-down victory with 84% of the vote. They advanced uh, through to the round of 16. In the round of 16, they faced the Babylonians. And the Babylonians are uh, very much a Mesopotamian society. Um, they're probably most famous for uh, for Hammurabi and his law code, but also uh, more uh, more their infamy it surrounds uh, their destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem and uh, their capture of the Jews. Um, but uh, when the ancient Egyptians uh, played them, they knocked them out. They got 67% of the vote. And then they advanced through to the quarterfinals where they would meet with the Sumerians. The Sumerians, like the ancient Egyptians, very ancient society. Um, arguably, uh, the two societies invented writing and subsequently, as a consequence, invented history. The Sumerians, um, once again, another Mesopotamian society, but we're, we're going... Um, further back in history than the Babylonians. So we're going a millennium earlier. And um, the Sumerians, very much the same kind of time frame as uh, the old kingdom of, of Egypt, if you like. But the ancient Egyptians won with 63% of the vote. So that, I would, that was their closest game was against the Sumerians, but they advanced then through to the semi-final where they played a team who they uh, who they had in their group right at the beginning of the tournament, the Macedonians. And of course, the Macedonians are spearheaded by Alexander the Great, who arguably um, achieved the greatest military conquest of any individual in history. 
uh, when he um, when he took Macedonian uh, or Macedon from Europe all the way over to the Indus Valley. Uh, but it wasn't enough to defeat the ancient Egyptians. They won again with 67% of the vote and made it through to the final. So what of the story of the ancient Egyptians? Who exactly were they? Well, a lot of Egyptologists cite the, the Nama palette or Nameh palette, um, which can be seen, um, it was still on display in the museum in Cairo, um, as uh, one of the, the very first artifacts from a unified Egypt. So um, there were societies all along the Nile River before the period that we refer to as ancient Egypt, but um Maybe Narmer or or King Menes, uh, if indeed they uh, they might have even been the same person, uh, unified Egypt as one um, as one as under one rule. You could say from around three thousand one hundred BCE. But really, the period that we refer to as the Old Kingdom didn't uh, didn't sort of come into being. Um, until a few hundred years later. So there were still dynasties um, coming and going and and various pharaohs, but um, the period that Egyptologists refer to as the Old Kingdom sort of started maybe in the, in the 27th century BCE. And this was the period which gave us the the pyramids. Um, previous to that, we, ha- we did have... Um, large tombs built but they were they were very basic and uh sort of resembled the base of a pyramid rather than an entire pyramid this pyramid building culture started in these years of the old kingdom um and obviously still they're very much a wonder of the world uh today so we can see these uh incredible objects that have survived all this time uh, and still baffle modern societies as to how on earth they could have been constructed. The pyramids themselves were built really um, to be tombs for the for the pharaohs, and um, the, the Egypt as a society um, it it did modernise over the period of time that it, it existed, um, but it also looked to um, to enhance its influence its borders and uh, and expand and certainly um upriver of the river nile where it would um attempt to um it would attempt to grow its its influence uh, into the lands of the nubians um who lived to the south of the egyptians but the the period of ancient egypt is sort of somewhat broken up into three main um periods uh, where the 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 egyptian kingdom was particularly strong and we call them the old kingdom the middle kingdom and um the new kingdom now in between those periods there were um maybe you could you could argue periods where um egypt fragmented and broke up and it was no longer unified so certainly ancient Egypt wasn't um, it wouldn't be fair to call it a continuous existence of 2000 years it did um, it did sort of re-emerge and reunify 
on a couple of occasions during this period that we call ancient Egypt. The period of the New Kingdom um, saw the expulsion of a, of a peoples called the Hyksos who had come in and and um, contributed towards a, um, a civil unrest in Egypt. And um, when they were expelled and the New Kingdom come along, a different kind of tomb building um, replaced that of the pyramids that had taken place during the 3rd millennium BCE. And we start seeing the tombs such as the Valley of the Kings um, being more commonplace um, during the 2nd millennium BCE, the later years of the ancient Egyptian kingdoms. Not only would the Egyptians um, look to um, look to in, look to uh, extend their influence up the Nile into the upper reaches of the Nile River, uh, beyond the cataracts, uh, but also into uh, Asian lands, as they would um, try and encroach on the lands of the Levant and spread their influence there, and that would bring them into conflict with the Hittites who were another powerful um, empire um, based in the modern lands of Turkey in the landmass called Anatolia. And so um, we see the ancient Egyptians getting very much involved in uh, Eurasian politics um, within um, the Middle East. But then there would be a, a phenomenon called the, the Late Bronze Age Collapse, and which is a very mysterious uh, period in history where um, it appears that the trade networks of the entire Near East collapsed and many mighty uh, kingdoms and empires uh, either disappeared off the face of the earth or, or just completely weakened to become a, a shell of what they formerly were and, and this really spelt the end of the new kingdom of Egypt and um, the decline in ancient Egypt um, as we celebrate it and the, and the last real sort of uh, you know the, the last big ruler of, of Egypt who we can say was the the last successful ruler of Egypt was maybe Ramesses III and, and after his reign it was it was all downhill for the ancient Egyptians as the new kingdom sort of petered out and uh, foreign influences uh, from um from Nubia and from Libya um, and also from Assyria would come in and start um, dominating ancient Egyptian politics. And that was during the 12th century BCE. So you could argue that ancient Egypt um, lasted just shy of around 2,000 years if we look at the dynasties starting from... Um, King Mini's creation of ancient Egypt as a united kingdom uh, right the way through to perhaps the the end of uh, the reign of Ramesses III. So apart from the pyramids and apart from these wonderful tombs um, in the upper Nile, uh, what did the ancient Egyptians actually do for us? Well, we know that the Egyptians were producing faience, which is arguably the precursor to the to the modern uh, invention of glass. So we could attribute that to the Egyptians. 
Um, they certainly were building some of the very first cities in the world. So such was their wealth from the River Nile that they were able to build huge settlements, the likes of which um, were not really easy to find in other areas of the world at all. They created boats that were um, made of wood that was sewn together so that the planks of the wood were sewn together and this was something that the Egyptians created so that they could um, so that they could travel and, and transport um, along the, the River Nile. Of course they gave us the pyramids which uh, were an enhancement of the original Mastaba tombs which uh, preceded them. Certainly later on in the ancient Egyptian tenure, we can see that they were producing scientific papers and uh, to do with biology and mathematics. Um, and this would all be recorded on papyrus, which was uh, essentially an Egyptian um, invention, which was a, you know, it was a, it was a precursor to the Chinese invention of paper um, but they also uh, produced ink as well, which so that they could write on the papyrus. So ink production was something that um, um, emanated from Egypt as well. They produced their own hieroglyphic writing style, but we could also attribute this kind of thing to Mesopotamia and uh, the same with um, the production of a calendar, a yearly can calendar, which would be helpful for um, agriculture. Um, we can also see uh, similar um, similar things emerging uh, in Mesopotamia as well. With ag agriculture, they would um, they would invent things like the ox-drawn plow and the sickle um, would would be um, enhanced. They were. Uh, expert irrigators of the water they did wonderful things with the Nile River but once again a lot of these things can be attributed to Mesopotamians as well so we have to be careful um, and um, you know they were they used to take care about their appearance the, the, the higher classes of Egyptian society would use makeup uh, they would wear wigs they would even clean their teeth using a type of toothpaste and uh, they were experts at mummification. They were able to mummify their most important members of society, such as their pharaohs. Not only would the Egyptians have great male rulers, but they would have great female rulers as well, such as Hatshepsut, who, uh, who was a, a female pharaoh. Um, they would um, have the Third, who was Hatshepsut's um, stepson and was a great military warrior but then also uh, sometime after you had Ramesses II who was uh, very famous um, for his successes in the Battle of Kadesh and was uh, known for his great vanity uh, all of his uh, temples that he built in celebration of himself uh, we also could argue that there was the um that there was the the first signs of monotheism um, when um, Akhenaten uh, created um, the a religion that would honour just one of the deities, one of the 
traditional deities, the solar deity um, called Artan. And uh, this was one of the first instances of monotheism. Um, so there you go. That's probably um, as much as I can give you to convince you to vote for the ancient Egyptians. But also there are others that have uh, written in this week and given me their reasons for voting for the ancient Egyptians. Timothy John Ignatius McKenna says that their civilization was far more peaceful and uh, than the Romans and, and the engineering was phenomenal. Um, besides, the Romans knew lead was bad but still ran their domestic water with it. Um, Sandy Lynn has um, said that the Egyptians lasted for thousands of years and their art is so beautiful and they had female pharaohs, Egypt all the way. Uh, Mohammed Hammam um, has put that the Egyptian civilization lasted for much longer than the Romans. The art is incredible and still many things are still excavated every day. And Mohammed is an Egyptian, so, you know, maybe a little bit biased, but there you go. Um, and uh, Eric G. Young has said um, it's a difficult choice because both civilizations have left indelible marks on the modern world, but ancient Egypt covers nearly 3,000 years of history, ancient Rome nearly 2,000 if we take it all the way to the conquest of Constantinople in 1453. Um, over those two overlapping periods of time, each nation had strengths and weaknesses. If you consider the high watermark for each, which occurred at different times, Egypt was a thousand-year-old civilization when Rome was just a village. By the same token, the Roman Empire was substantially larger than Egypt at its height. Its armies were larger and its military techniques far superior. Um, both civilizations have contributed to art and architecture, engineering, and we can't discount the reality that Rome actually conquered Ptolemaic Egypt. All that said, uh, Eric's vote is still with ancient Egypt. Overall, it was a cultural, artistic and military powerhouse long before Rome. So thank you, everybody, for your contribution. We've made a case for ancient Egypt and uh, now uh, the case rests. We move on to the Romans. Now, the journey of the Romans to the ancient World Cup final started uh, in Group N and they were drawn with the Athenians, the Nazca and the Spartans. So quite a heavy group there. Um, we lost the Nazca and the Spartans. The Nazca were those who, uh, those South American cultures who, who made those incredible uh, geoglyphs that uh, we really didn't really know how wonderful they were until we could take to the skies um, in the last sort of hundred years or so. And um, the Spartans, of course, um, got to be one of the most powerful teams to have been knocked out in the group stages. But the Athenians went through with the Romans and, of course, they avoided each other in the first knockout round, as is... Uh, what we deliberately do. Now, the Romans, they got drawn against the Cushites in the round of 32, match number nine. And um, the Cushites, of course, much more closely related to Egyptian culture as they were, um, they were the, a culture from the Upper Nile, from Nubian lands, maybe in the Sudanese lands, um, 
and uh, the Romans put paid to them by quite a heavy margin there, winning 83% of the votes. They would go through to the next round where they would meet the Minoans, arguably the first uh, European civilization uh, on the island of Crete and um, responsible for giving us a wonderful sight of Knossos, uh, amongst other things. Um, the Romans defeated the Minoans um, with a score of 67% of the, of the vote. So they went through to the quarterfinals where they would face the Anglo-Saxons, the, uh, the Germanic invaders of Great Britain and the culture which is responsible for creating the modern country of England before it was conquered by the Normans. The Romans uh, crushed the Anglo-Saxons with 72% of the votes and then went through to the semi-finals where they would meet the Athenians who were uh, in their group. And uh, the Romans defeated the Athenians in their group. They also defeated them in the semi-final. The Athenians, the uh, who are who are um, attributed with being maybe the the inventors of modern democracy. Uh, the Romans uh, defeated them with sixty-eight percent of the vote to reach um, the to reach the final. Um, let's have a look at the timeline of the Romans. Now, according to tradition, uh, the Roman kingdom was founded in the year 753 BCE. Um, but archaeology tends to suggest that there was a settlement at Rome uh, before this time. However, we don't have any kind of written account of that being the case. Towards the end of the 6th century BCE, the expulsion of the Roman king Tarquinius Superbus um, meant the end of the Roman kingdom and, and it would be the start of the period that we refer to as the Roman Republic. Rome would remain no more than a city-state um, until uh, the year 390 BCE where it was famously sacked by the Gauls. Uh, long before it had even become like an international powerhouse. But after this sacking, uh, Rome went on the offensive and started to make plans to take control of its neighbouring um, its neighboring tribes and societies. Um, and around 100 years after this sacking, Rome had successfully taken control of the whole of central Italy then its ambitions would be to take over the entire Italian peninsula and this would bring it into conflict with what was uh, the uh, the previous um, or what would what at the time was the most dominant Mediterranean society of uh, the, the Western Mediterranean, the Carthaginians. And so the period of the Punic Wars started between Carthage and Rome. Rome would initially successfully take Sicily from the Carthaginians and then the, the Carthaginians fought back with uh, the famous uh, journey of Hannibal across the Alps with uh, his army and uh, his concession of elephants. Uh, but this was uh, not a successful campaign um, in the grand scheme of things as the Romans uh, managed to take over lands of Spain 
um, pushing the Carthaginians back to Africa. And then the, the Romans would then expand eastwards into the lands of uh, Macedonia, um, which by now was a shadow of its former self uh, and from since the years of Alexander the Great. Um, Rome was now uh, starting to dominate um, much of the Mediterranean coastlines. Once the Romans sacked the cities of Carthage and Corinth um, during the 2nd century BCE, um, it had control of um, the, the the entire Western Mediterranean, all the all the lands of the the Western Mediterranean, and now um, pretty much most of Greece. One of the biggest battle for, battles for the Romans was with itself, as the um, as the aristocratic class was coming under pressure from a socialist movement. Um, that um, threatened to um, threatened to debilitate the, the entire Roman Republic, and um, basically the citizens of Rome were not going to stand for um, all of this elitist attitude from the aristocracy in Rome. Um, initially, uh, Rome it, it just saw it as a, a minor rebellion, but it started escalating and gathering more. Uh, support and more momentum so the romans had to uh, had to make concessions to um to settle the the mood of rome down and uh, and to remain in control of its own affairs so that the citizens weren't um weren't going to mount a, a huge rebellion um one of the greatest supporters of social reform was uh, uh one julius caesar who um was an uh, incredibly wily statesman and, and managed to uh, gain power and support um, in the face of the Roman Republic's staunch, um, its staunch uh, Senate and, and political system. Julius Caesar um, managed to conquer Gaul for the Romans, but when the Romans attempted to um, pull him out of Gaul without any reward, he then turned his army on Rome itself. Caesar had so much support, though, that this turned into a civil a civil war rather than a, uh, a the put down of a rebellious statesman. It actually turned into a civil war, and Julius Caesar came out on top and became the sole ruler of of Rome. He, he almost conquered Rome from within. Now, Caesar wasn't officially the monarch of Rome, but he, he almost established a single rule that would become the shape of things to come after Julius Caesar's death. Um, Octavian would end up being elected as the sole emperor of the Roman Empire. So the, this was the time of the transition from the Republic to the Empire. And Octavian would rule as Augustus. This would then instigate a, a real period of, of maybe a hundred, over a hundred years, where Rome would actually um, become more powerful and conquer more lands. It would um, conquer um, most of Great Britain um, and um, certainly end up. Um, 
making moves into the Middle East and taking uh, taking a lot of territory in the Middle East. And this is when the Roman Empire was its at its most powerful, the earliest decades of the second century. It would actually be an outbreak of disease, possibly smallpox, that would um, that would be the thing that would stop uh, Rome in its tracks and uh, start to bring it into a, a more uh, you know, make it more of a level playing field for Roman opponents. Now, all along underlying, um, the, there was an underlying um, issue for the Romans where it always needed to make social reforms as the the population had a powerful, um, had a powerful voice in Roman and so it would have to um, exercise reforms um, Roman citizenship was something that um, was demanded by those uh, those conquered lands that were denied that right. Um, the the people of uh, the conquered lands were denied the right of Roman citizenship, and uh, so the Romans had to introduce that in order to stop rebellions and um, and um, different uh, provinces attempting to splinter off from the main Roman Empire. Another big issue for the Romans was always that the Germanic tribes to their north were constantly trying to raid lands and and infiltrate its borders. Um, the Goths being one of those, were a fine example of one of those Germanic tribes. Also, the size of the Roman Empire played against it somewhat, and um, the Emperor Diocletian um, looked to um, to to break the the empire up and have it ruled um, by multiple emperors in order to prevent um, there being too much in the way of rebellion uh, from within the empire so he would he would chop the the empire up and in, into something called the tetrarchy uh, so that there would be multiple emperors bringing more control over the rule of the empire as a whole during the fourth century the 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 centre of power of the Roman Empire shifted towards the east and um, a new capital city was established at Constantinople, um, which almost condemned the western um, provinces of the Roman Empire somewhat as um, it was seen that um, Constantinople should be the new capital. And um, the pagan belief systems of the Romans started becoming a bit outdated as there was a real desire for many to convert to monotheistic um, religions such as uh, Judaism and uh, especially Christianity which really became extremely popular during the 4th century. However, the, Rome was weakening and um, the appearance of the Huns in Europe uh, really started challenging the Romans and um, they found themselves having to um, spend a lot of money to uh, defend their lands against uh, people such as the Huns and Germanic invaders such as the Goths and um, it was really causing a, a big problem for the Roman Empire. Rome, the Roman Empire would, would convert completely to Christianity, it would become the state religion and um, the the empire itself was officially split into two halves the west and the east and uh, they would be governed uh, uh, independently a branch of the goths called the visigoths 
um, scored a, an incredible defeat of the Romans at Adrianople before they would go on um, at the beginning of the 5th century to sack Rome for the first time since the Gauls did it um, in 390 BCE, some uh, 800 years earlier. Eventually in 476, the last Roman ruler of the Western Roman Empire, the traditional Roman Empire, was deposed and this marked the end of uh, what we traditionally refer to as the Roman Empire. But apart from the sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, roads, a fresh water system and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? When the Romans became international traders, they would build um, co huge concrete buildings such as the Porticus Emilia, um, which was something that was not really seen anywhere else. So this was one of the first huge concrete buildings um, that was ever created. Now, when the Romans expanded eastwards, they would uh, consume Greek lands and with the Greek lands came all of that um all of that knowledge and all that um polymath expertise that came with it and of course um one of the uh, inventions was uh, the force pump which was a kind of hydraulic system uh used for pumping water and uh, Vitruvius would be very interested in this Vitruvius was an architect who was responsible for the uh, for the construction of aqueducts in Rome, and uh, and he would use this uh, this incredible uh, knowledge of hydraulic power um, in order to uh, help him with this construction of aqueducts. Now we mentioned earlier that the Egyptians uh, produced faience, which was um, uh, the precursor to glass and, and we know that the Egyptians uh, were one of the earliest glass producers but uh, apparently the Romans were uh, were maybe the first to use glass in windows. So let's find out which ones among you, the hot worlders, the listeners to the podcast, uh, are planning to vote for the Romans and why. Shane Smith has said as awesome as the, as the Egyptians were and the monuments they left behind, they were basically conquered by everyone that tried and when, when they were at full power, their influence did not go much past their little corner of the world. The Roman Empire pretty much conquered the whole known world. Most of the countries that we know of from Spain, Germany, England, Egypt, all um, bowed to Rome. Brenda West um, has said they are the basis for what we call Western civilization. Serge Schwinard has put that the Romans, um, because of their impact on the Western world and their lasting legacy. Uh, Fred Gerloff has, has said that almost everything that came after them was a result of them. Uh, Peter Martia Huskard has put um, the, the Romans because the Egyptians were not of this world make of that what you will uh, Jürgen Willemsen has put their influence is still present in today's world and Nathan Housie has put it has to be Rome they came they saw and they conquered well I hope that that's given you some food for thought and maybe helped you to decide 
who you're going to vote for next week. Remember, Facebook, the official History of the World podcast Facebook page, the unofficial Facebook fan group, Twitter and Instagram from Monday, you will be able to register your vote for who you want to win the ancient World Cup between ancient Egypt and the Romans. Next week, in uh, in our episode next week, we'll be talking about the Battle of Grunwald, which um, is a battle between uh, the Polish-Lithuanian uh, coalition and the Teutonic Knights. After we finish that episode, we will be announcing the winner of the Ancient World Cup. So until next week, be good. The History of the World podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. Please consider making a financial contribution by going to the historyoftheworldpodcast.com website and clicking on the Patreon link. Email the show at historyoftheworldpodcast at mail.com. And don't forget to join our social media at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr. See you next time.